If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am vice president here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, We're uh, a provider of ABA services to individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities all across the country. Um, Also work really closely with with our partners and our team at Learned Systems, um, where now we're able to actually provide a lot more just overall educational and therapeutic support to kids with autism, which I'm really excited about because, you know, that is kind of this, the dilemma we're always facing with. It's the, the medical side of things, which more and more now is relevant to all of us, which is insurance. And then there's the educational side of things, which is always going to live at that school district level. We've got to balance those two things out. And um, as someone who's been doing ABA and who's a, a BCBA, uh, for as long as I've been, you know, ABA now for about 14 years or so, um, that balancing act of education versus medical needs really, to me, is like at the forefront of everything right now. And I've been talking a lot over the last few months about Medi-Cal. It's, it's the big thing here in California. I actually recently, though, just got involved in, in the Medicaid program and meeting with um, uh, with folks up in Washington State, learning more about how they're setting things up um, and actually working to to get AST involved in that program. And it just, in terms of talking with them, talking with people here, um, as well as in Louisiana, it, it, you see something's happening. It, it's all starting to move. And I think this balance of understanding these these medical necessity, these medical model terms and, and the way things are looked at is incredibly important. Um, you know, the diagnosis and access to that diagnosis is probably never been as important as it is today, at least in terms of a funding point of view. And I think what, what I'm learning as I dig more and more into the Medicaid programs is it's not just the diagnosis, but it's the diagnosis from the right person, written the right way with the right testing and the right information, and you know, it, it's it, it's new to us. It's it's a challenge for all of us. I think we're so used to saying, "My child has a need. This is their educational deficit. Let's get an IEP and let's get services in place and let's get supports in place." States like California, other states across the country that have waiver programs or state funding, like here in the regional center, we're used to. What's the deficit? Let's emphasize those deficits. That there's lots of diagnoses that could kind of make you eligible for these supports and services, now things seem to be more refined. And, you know, we've heard from people over the last year on the show, um, particularly, you know, I'm thinking of uh, our good friend V. Mark Duran talking about the DSM-5 and how that diagnosis is different um, of now where everything falls under autism spectrum disorder versus Asperger's and PDD-NOS and autism. Um, it seems now more than ever that you know, this process of diagnosis and access becomes so critical. And, and I think one of the most important things that we um, should be educating parents about, 
you know, and, and that's, that's hard for me to say as an ABA guy who says, well, I've got to educate everyone on ABA, how it works, how, um, how they can be involved in it or should be involved in it, what their child's going to get from it. But knowing what I'm hearing and learning now, it feels like this diagnosis piece and how to keep a schedule of ongoing evals from, from physicians or psychologists um, is, is more critical because that's going to open the door to have the conversation that I just described about APA um, with a parent and, and with a, even a child is if, if they can handle that, that conversation. So, you know, a, as we go into all of this, I think it's really important for us to become more aware, not just of the law itself or, and the introduction of a law, but how do you navigate this? And, and that's always the hardest part. Now, we can read a law and people kind of say, well, this is my interpretation of it. But the actual navigation, what do you need to do? What documentation do you need to provide? Where, who do you give it to? Where do you get it from? I think these are the pieces that we need to make sure that we are providing and, and educating people about. And they often seem to be the hardest to find. Um, just thinking about um, some, some friends I have in, in Maryland, in Baltimore, just speaking to them recently where we're working on the different funding that's available now, everyone knows that there's a, there's access now through insurance. They know the law, they know what they have covered, but getting it, navigating it is, is becoming a different story. Um, so we're working on trying to provide more resources to families there, but it's a year later and that navigation piece is still not quite um, figured out from a parent and even from a provider point of view. So I see this as kind of a big hurdle for us, a big thing that we all need to kind of understand as we, as we take this next step, because I truly believe Medicaid uh, across the country is going to be funding these services. I think our access in terms of the laws out there are just going to continue to improve, um, but navigating these laws is, is going to be a greater challenge for us as we go. So today I'm joined by Cynthia McCluskey. Cynthia is an active member of the autism community. She has a son who, through biomedical and therapeutic means, lost his diagnosis of autism and is a typically developing 16-year-old. Cynthia was one of the seven moms who lobbied successfully for Stevens Law that requires insurance companies to cover autism in the state of Arizona. She's written articles for Autism File, spoken nationally, produced a documentary on comorbid medical conditions. She's been interviewed by the local news, Lifetime TV, Good Morning America, and appeared with her son in the New York Times Magazine just this past summer. She's also the Vice President of Autism Society of the Greater Phoenix. Currently, she's helping to run legislation on restraint and seclusion in this legislative session. Cynthia is also working with a group of lawyers to help parents with children with autism access good medical care with private insurance companies and using EPSDT to access appropriate care through Medicaid. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. You know, the you do so many different things, and I kind of want to tackle all of them at different points. But, you know, just reading your bio just a second ago, like the thing that, that pops out at me right away is, you know, your experience as a mom um, blending these different therapies to work with your son and the fact that he's lost his diagnosis. So you know, what specifically did you guys do? Like what was that blend like? Well, I think I was 
lucky or unlucky, however you look at it. But when my son was diagnosed, um, there was no such thing as a BCBA in our state. So we would have experts come in every once in a while and do a presentation, but there wasn't um, an agency or a professional you could hire. So what I did was I did a lot of reading, and then I blended the theories. So I, I read a lot of floor time, um, a lot of um, discrete trial, Montessori-based mm-hmm. learning, um, some homeschool like John Holt, How the Children Learn, and then took parts of everything that made sense to me and put together a program for my son. And we ran it for about 45 hours a week from the wow. ages of three to seven. So wow. it was intense. <laughs> and you did all of this without a BCBA. It was like you just driving everything as a parent. Yes. Well, I had no choice. So um, it was that or, you know, there wasn't really anything available. But wealthy people could fly people in from other states, but we didn't Uh have that um, ability. So I sort of, Mm -hmm. I figured, well, I have a college degree, so I'm not stupid. And um, I'm sort of a type A personality anyways. So I just decided to go for it. I figured if something was better than nothing, Mm-hmm. And I did make mistakes along the way. Like, I, um, for a year, I forgot to introduce any kind of descriptive language. Mm. So he started stuttering a lot, and I was trying to figure out why. And I think a speech path helped me figure out that I completely left, like, a whole thing of language out of what we were doing. And, mm. you know, I had to recover from that, obviously, but... Um, I just jumped in and I just took everything that I could from a bunch of different sources and thought about my kid and thought about what would work well for him and then tried them. And whatever didn't work, I got rid of. And whatever did work, I kept going. Wow. So it sounds hard, but it really wasn't that hard. I mean, it's, I'm listening to just the story so far and I, I think of Temple Grandin and I've heard her speak a few times. She's been on our show before. And, you know, every time I've, I've seen her or spoken to her, she, she literally recommends the parents to do exactly what you did. Um, just read, find whatever resources you can. I mean, you you summed it up exactly what I've heard her say. And so it's amazing. You're right. Like it, it does sound hard. And I think that's been what a lot of, um, parents I've seen in the audience kind of say in response. So it's so amazing to hear you just say, it isn't as hard as it sounds. Like once you get going, it, it becomes easier. It, what really I think is hard and the stumbling block for most people. And what uh-huh. I try to counsel parents on is that, you know, your child and you have to trust yourself. And so often you hear from teachers and other professionals that as a parent of a special needs child, you don't really know what your child needs. And I never accepted that. I always felt like I know what he needs and we have a real bond with each other. So I Mm -hmm. trusted myself to make those decisions um, where I think other people feel like, well, I don't want to make a mistake. And I just figured if I make a mistake, I'll hang a 180 and fix it. But effort needs to be made, and so someone's got to do it, and the only one in the room is me. And in ways, I think it was better that I did it. I've talked to some pretty well-known professionals who have told me that my style with Mark 
was less rigid and um, uh, kind of unique, and it was probably just mm-hmm. perfect for him. Wow. You, you mentioned that, you know, Mark 16 now. You, you mentioned, though, that this was what you were doing, I think you said, from three to seven years old. So what yes. what was the change? You know, at, at seven and eight, it sounds like you got more professionals involved. What, what sparked you um, being able to do that, and, and how, if at all, did that change, um, you know, the approaches you guys were taking? Actually, it was less. I At seven, I decided that... Our life was just all therapy all the time, and I was Mm. tired of having so many people in our home, and so I decided to take a year off where it was just going to be Mark and I, and we were just going to be homeschooling, and really Uh what we did was we played, we laughed, we read, we went to the park. Um, I tried to incorporate some social thinking and some relationship development intervention, in our mm-hmm. play and our interactions and our reading. Um, but we basically just took a break from therapy and we took a break from really truly academics. Cause I felt like mm-hmm. he's worked harder than most people have and he's only seven and he needed a break. We, our family needed a break and it was the best thing I ever did. Where was that? I mean, I have to imagine that was a, probably a, a scary step to take. Um, you know, was you that know, something I that you had to... <laughs> really? Wow. The fear is never really a part of my language. So mm-hmm. I just felt like it was a necessary step. And I figured if, if it was the wrong step, I'd wake up one day and do something different. Which has always been my husband and my attitude about our son and what we're doing. is like we make a decision and then we reevaluate every six months to a year. And if we're not happy, then we do something different. Wow. I mean, it just this department, I'm like, that sounds like a very ABA type of approach. It's like, stop, evaluate, tweak, stop. About, I mean, it, it seems so logical, data-driven in how you're thinking about it. Um, I'm, I'm, it makes perfect sense why you did some of the things you did, you know, in, in years that followed with regards to Stevenless Law and, and, and some of the other things. Um, but before we get there, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Mark and maybe fast forwarding. Um, at what at what age did he um, did he lose the diagnosis? Well, at eight, we dropped Medicaid funding because he no longer mm-hmm. met any of the criteria and didn't have any needs. Mm-hmm. At eleven, I had Card evaluate him, and they did that sort mm-hmm. of as a thank you for working on the bill and everything, and um, they couldn't find. Um, anything to give him a diagnosis of anymore. He no longer wow. has that criteria. And then um, I think that same year or the year after, we participated in the NIH Good Outcome Study of Dr. Fine. Mm-hmm. And again, they found, um, they did find other things, like they found anxiety and maybe a little bit of a attention deficit, but they didn't find any autism. Mm. So I think every professional who's seen him, wow. I even had um, a speech about done when he was 14, because it's been seven mm-hmm. years since he'd had a speech about, and they did find some deficits, but none, um, nothing that was bad enough that would actually warrant a therapy, and nothing that they could mm-hmm. get a diagnosis of. Wow, is you know it's it's I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking back to to last week's show. We were we were um, 
it's actually a group that that you probably would really like. Um, they are doing job placements for um, high-functioning individuals on the spectrum, and they're doing it not so much from the functional skills training perspective of teaching the individual. It's more about targeting employers and really working with employers to increase their willingness to hire individuals on the spectrum um, and recognize that individuals on the spectrum may be really well-suited to some of their jobs, uh, accounting, technology, um, even different arts um, and, uh, you know, human science type of things. Um, and, you know, one of the things we were talking about is disclosure and kind of how different people have been responding to that. I guess, I'm, you know, obviously you guys have been a very public family in terms of the different interviews, um, in terms of just your involvement. Um, is that something that ever caused any, like, trepidation for you or for Mark? Or did you guys have discussions about, you know, being out there and, and being kind of role models to so many people? Um, well, first of all, we would never have made that choice if Mark wasn't comfortable. So yeah. at 16, he has a vote uh, very much. Like if he says, I don't want you to do an interview, I would never do it because it's really yeah. his privacy and his life, so he has that choice. But he has always felt like it is part of him and it's not anything that he's ashamed of. He's proud of everything that he's yeah. overcome and everything that he's done. And he also thinks of himself as a voice for maybe children who don't have a voice. So we both wow. kind of felt that way. Um, we never not told Mark that he had autism. We always mm -hmm. labeled what was going on, and we always talked about how he was not a label, how everybody's mind works differently, and we all have strengths and deficits. And so we've always made lists of things that he's good at and tried to pursue things that he really liked and was good at and then worked on trying mm -hmm. to sort of fix some of those deficits. And when we're talking about employment, also talking about what fit for you, because whether you have autism or some other thing, or no matter who you are, what I would hope is that you'd be designing a life that fits what you want and what makes you happy and feel comfortable. And that's different in everybody's um, experience. So for Mark, he's very comfortable in the engineering field, and I think he's going to be mm -hmm. really happy with that. Um, he fits in with those kids, and that works for him. So we, we've always been open about it, and I think one of the reasons is at the same time he was getting a diagnosis of autism, one of my close friends' um, children was getting a diagnosis of cancer. And I kind um. of like to make the comparison because they're both, their experience is changed from other children. Um, yeah. Lots of therapy from three to seven it's kind of like doing chemotherapy or something like that. Like you, you have a completely different experience than typical people might have had, and that changed you, whether you recovered from cancer or you recovered from autism, whatever. Um, you're a different person because of your experience. And you would not tell your child that they had cancer, just like I wouldn't tell him he didn't have autism. Um, yeah. You don't want that to define who they are, right? So we worked really right. hard on making sure that he didn't limit himself based on any kind of label, but that he realized a label was just a means of understanding himself. Wow. It, it's just, it's amazing to hear this story and just, I mean, I, I think you even used the word, it just feels like this is a kid who has overcome so much, has achieved so much. And it, and it makes me think, you know, knowing a little bit 
too about some of the different things from from talking to you before some of the activities that Mark does and some of the clubs he's a part of. It's like, yeah, this is a kid who's going to achieve even more in the future, given like all these different things that he's doing and, and working towards. It's amazing. And he's an amazing kid. Like I, we just went to some big event and I just kept getting feedback about how kind he is, how helpful he is, how social he is. And these are people that never knew he had a label. Like they just see him as a robot guy because he's super talented in robots and they don't even know that he ever had a label. And so it's kind of funny to, to hear their compliments because they're not compliments you would expect a child with autism to get. I bet. But he worked hard. Like I said, he worked really hard. You know, listening to your story and, and, you know, the the natural the process that I go to is, you know, as I think about just all you did with Stevens Law and getting involved there, you know, is is Mark's story and then, you know, as you said, not having a BCBA for all of those years, is that what motivated you um, to, you know, identifying what it is you guys were missing and, and saying, you know, I don't want to have this for the um, other people? in the community I want to give back. Is that what motivated you to get involved with Stevens Law? Well, two things happened. Um, one, when he was first diagnosed, we were told to institutionalize him. And since that wasn't something that we were going to be doing, it wow. gave me a freedom that I never would have had. So basically when you're telling me the medical establishment is telling me that about him. It gave me permission to think outside of the box in a variety of ways, in ways that I would never would have necessarily chosen had I not had that experience. For instance, homeschooling. So homeschooling has been one of the best things that I ever did and one of the best um, interventions that I ever did for my son. But it also gave me a lot of flexibility and, and freedom to make a lot of different choices. So I was really active in the autism community because once he was diagnosed and I realized mm-hmm. wasn't what wasn't out there, I had made a promise to myself that when he got better, I would try to fix what was broken. And um, so when it came to Stephen's Law, one of my friends asked me, would you be willing to work on this legislation? And I said, yes. And it was pretty amazing because Autism Speaks had already decided that Arizona would not be able to pass legislation, so they passed us over and didn't give us the grant to try to run the bill. So we decided to go ahead and run it without the support of Autism Society or Autism Speaks, really. Now, in the end, um, Autism Speaks jumped in and gave us a lot of support, but not financial. Um, So it was basically seven moms who did it, and then um, SARC, uh, Southwest Autism Research Center, mm-hmm. hired a lobbying firm to help us, and then Gretchen Jacobs was a mother of a child with autism and also a lobbyist. So mm-hmm. it was really definitely grassroots when we started. Um, they said there was not a chance that we would pass that bill, and in four wow. months' time, we had it signed by the governor. And I will say this wow. about my son. He was, he was definitely the reason, one of the reasons that that bill passed because a lot of the legislators that we couldn't see the reason for running this bill because they thought autism wasn't treatable. That was the language that people were using back then, and that was 2008. Autism isn't treatable. Children don't get better. So why should we put money mm-hmm. towards that? And then there would be my son, Mark. 
and he would introduce himself. And he was so clever, I thought, because he would say to people, and this is his own language, and no one thought of it himself, but he thought of it himself. He would go up and say, hi, I'm Mark. Um, did you know insurance companies cover cancer, but they don't cover autism? Do you think that's fair? <laughs> and um, not one single legislator could uh, answer that question, and it was a little bit disturbing to all of them. So we spent four months down at the legislature. My son was with mm-hmm. me every step of the way. We testified in the state senate um, and in the health committee, and when we went into that committee, we were supposed to lose. Um, mm. We weren't supposed to make it out of the health committee, and then at a point, I started to cry. Um, I was talking about how hard it is to not have the money and the resources to help your child and how you lay awake at night yeah. and you're devastated, and I started to cry. And Mark leaned in and put his arm around me and patted me. And I looked up, and every single person in the room was crying. Every senator was crying. (laughs) And we made it out of that committee six to zero. So pretty powerful. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, I know this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but uh, I'm actually going to take us to commercial because you actually got me a little choked up right now myself because that is a, a a really, really amazing story. Um, so let's do this. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then let's come back and talk more with Cynthia McCluskey uh, and all the amazing things she's doing. We'll be right back. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. We have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team, with one mission. To support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to All Autism Talk. Uh, joined today by Cynthia McCluskey. Um, we, we were talking about Stephen's Law and just, you know, the role Mark played and the role you played as, as well as a number of other parents and individuals. Um, but you're working on some other legislation right now as well. Um, that I mentioned at the top of the show, um, you're working on some legislation around restraint and seclusion. Uh, what, you know, what exactly are, is it you guys are working on? Well, okay, 33 states have already, states have already passed uh, some kind of bill for restraint and seclusion, and mm-hmm. so we would be the 34th state. And this is the third time we've run this bill. We asked for an investigative committee one year. We asked for guidelines another year. Neither one of those things were effective in solving the problem, which is why we're running legislation that has a little Mm -hmm. bit more uh, bite to it. And what it's asking for is parental notification. So it's basically a parent's rights law. We're saying that if you restrain or seclude a child, you must notify the parents within 24 hours. 
If you restrain or seclude a child, it should be because the child is in danger to themselves or to someone else and not for punishment. And they must keep track of how many times they're restraining or secluding a child. If it's more than a couple times, then they have to seek out a BCBA and get an FBA plan and completely evaluate what's going on in the classroom, why there is such a problem. So we did have a child in Yuma who died because of restraint and seclusion a couple years ago. So it is a life and death matter, and it's been a difficult bill to run. Again, we're, mm-hmm. black, we're grassroots. We have no money behind us. We're just moms down at the legislature. And uh, there's big money against us. But so far, we've done a great job. We just made it out of the Senate, um, and we made it out 27 to 0, so it was unanimous. So now it's on its way wow. to the House, and we just have to make it to the House and get it to the governor's office, and then we will successfully run a second bill. Wow. So you're you're really not you're you're really just trying to create more communication. It sounds like around all of this, not necessarily like taking everything apart or taking everything away. This this makes a lot of sense. It does. What we're asking for is what is already in place for police officers, for medical yeah. people, doctors and nurses, for prison. I mean, pretty much anywhere else in the world, there is legislation or statute that has requirements of how their behavior should um, manifest when it comes to restraint and seclusion. Schools are the only place where that is not done. And so we're just trying to get them caught up to, you know, 2015, and uh, hopefully we'll do it. I'm just curious, what's the opposition been so far to this? It it seems kind of, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm in the therapeutic world. It seems kind of common sense that if you would go to these types of extreme precautions, you would document that and communicate accordingly that this event took place. Here's why. Here are the circumstances. Because that shouldn't be like the norm. Like, what, what no, would, What's shouldn't. the objections? Um, it's shocking. And we have um, had ongoing problems. So it's not like it doesn't happen. And what we're finding, the feedback right. we've gotten from families, is it's usually from preschool to second grade that are the most affected by this. And mm. the people that are against our bill, we've had two organ- large organizations against us. The first is the lobbies for the teachers, the school board, and the school districts. What wow. they asked for, and it was offensive to me, they said they supported our bill, but they wanted one amendment, and they wanted that amendment to be immunity. So if they were to accidentally injure or kill a child, they could not be sued. And we said, no way. No way are we going to allow that. So um, they've been fighting us because they want immunity, and we're not going to give it to them. Mm. Um, The only other group that's been against us is shocking. It's Arizona Disability Law, and they're against us because they say our bill isn't um, strong enough. But our response to them was, where were you? You haven't tried to run a bill. You haven't tried to create change. These are moms who negotiated in good faith and got a fair bill. So we were pretty offended by both groups being against our bill. Because I'm assuming they want to see no restraint or no seclusion and and stricter limitations to what you can do, not just this. Yeah, got it. Which we would too, but you have to run a bill that you think you can pass, right? So you can't always get everything that you want. But we got the really important things, which is parental notification 
and documentation and requiring that they do an FBA and figure out what's going on. I mean, it's so tricky because you're, I, I mean, like I, it, listening to this in this middle ground you're in, like you're, you're clearly trying to do something good here and it's with the, with good intentions, with good ideas, and it's going to make a difference for a lot of people, but you're caught in this middle ground of, well, this side wants to negotiate one piece and another side agrees with you in principle, but doesn't think you've gone enough. So they're going to go against it. It's, it just seems so complicated. And oh, by the way, you guys are a group of parents doing grassroots. You're up, you're down. It's like a roller coaster. I'm, I'm, I'm like, my bill's gonna pass. My bill's dead. My bill's gonna pass. My whole family. They're like, wow, who knew? Like, every hour something's changing. It's really all-consuming. You spend a ton of time at the Capitol. Like, when I ran the insurance bill and this bill, you spend so much time down there. Your family's like, are we gonna eat? Is there laundry? I mean. <laughs> Because <laughs> it takes so much energy and it's ever changing, so it's it's hard. But we're going to make it this time. I have confidence. We're going to win. You know, as I've you know, as I've spoken to you now, you know, a few times, and you know, each time I talk to you, you know, you you have such this great perspective of where things have been, where as to where things are, as well as where things are going, and it just feels like this the community in you know, the greater Phoenix area, if not even in, you know, Arizona, it, it seems like it's come such a long way and there's been so many changes and evolutions to, you know, the conversations that are taking place, the the openness to issues. I mean, just just hearing you about once upon a time, there were not BCBAs and now right. you have a, a licensed, you know, there's a, a licensure for behavior analysts in the state of Arizona and there's universities churning out BCBAs and, and growing this science. It almost feels a little bit like a night and day switch. Um, if you think from like 10 years ago, it was this way to today. Um, I mean, do you think that like where where do you think this has come from? Has this really been parents becoming more and more educated? Has it been the have there been other influx of new ideas? It just it seems like a lot's been happening. Well, the thing is, and the seven moms that worked on the autism insurance legislation, none yeah. of us benefited from that legislation. We all had self funded plans. But our hope and our dream was that by passing the legislation, we would become a state that was um, that people were interested in coming to, and, and BCBAs would be interested in moving here. And mm-hmm. that has really happened. We have like ten different companies now that are providing ABA services and are competing mm-hmm. for business. So that's really upping the level of services for our families. And then the mm-hmm. other thing that's really interesting that's happened is a majority of us are still with companies that are self-funded, but those big companies are now offering ABA services as part of their insurance, even though mm-hmm. there is no mandate to require it. So right. there, it's just it's amazing what's happening, and it's amazing how one little thing can make such giant change. The other thing that's happening I think that's going to be great is we have these empowerment scholarships in Arizona, yes. which is letting parents vote with their feet instead of having to hire lawyers and advocates. They can mm-hmm. um, jump out of the school system and jump into a private system, getting 90% of the money that the school district would have gotten. So we're mm-hmm. also now in Arizona getting some amazing ABA schools and just just 
great things are happening along that line, too. You know, it's, it's funny you mention this because it's – I feel this way just being here in California and having been in different states. And, and, you know, I guess I'm biased. I do so much work on the insurance front. But I, I've always felt kind of like what you said, like – as funding opens up, it seems like it opens up the door to a lot of resources, education, professionals. Like it seems like that's what really gets so many of these doors open um, in terms of what's going to be around for a family to access. It just seems like an underrated piece of um, of the puzzle. Yes, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, and we're now working with lawyers because, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Arizona believes ABA therapy is experimental, except from the ages of four to six. So a majority of our Medicaid families wow. are not getting any kind of ABA, right. and they're not following Medicaid EPSTT. So we have been looking for law firms to represent us for 10 years and have not been able to wow. find any. But since the language in the... Um, CMS has changed in March, Mm -hmm. um, or July, rather. Uh, We now have four law firms actively helping us negotiate with um, our Medicaid system in providing ABA therapy and other um, EPSTC services to families on the spectrum, and we're hoping for some powerful change there, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure just the fact that here in California, I mean, I'm going to be in Sacramento next week. for a uh, stakeholders meeting with, with Medi-Cal here because that's what's transitioning here in California is that the EPSDT is the, the grounds for why Medi-Cal is going to start funding everything here. And I know there's a big belief that with a state as large as California implementing something like this, it could really lead to a domino effect with a lot of other states across the country. So it's, it's so cool to hear that it's already really starting to move. Um, yeah, well, they have to respond by March. I think by the end of March, all the states mm-hmm. are supposed to respond. And so our state is definitely on notice because we have law firms negotiating with them now. So that's really going to be um, a powerful change here. And then there will be even more services uh, that open yeah. up for families. I bet the licensure of behavior analysts is going to go a long way to support this because that claim of it's a certificate, not a license, no longer applies in Arizona. So I bet that's going to make things a little bit easier because I know that's been a um, something that we had to get past here in California. Uh, everyone was well, open to getting past it, but it was something. So wow. right now, our state is a billion dollars in the hole. And so wow. money is really tight. But our yeah. um, argument is... And what Mark so nicely represented when we were fighting for the autism insurance is that autism mm-hmm. is treatable. Now, it's, we're not saying it's curable, and we're not saying that every child will have the same outcome. But what sure. we're saying is if you give intensive therapy early on, that you can really make the difference, and these children can be taxpayers. It's really important that we stay focused on the long-term goal for all of these kids. Yeah. You know, I, I, kind of transitioning and, and using that, you know, term long-term goal um, to do so, you know, I know that's a big part of where your focus is on is, is thinking about some of these long-term goals just with the greater um, or the Autism Society of Greater Phoenix. And, you know, as, as I said to you before we got on the air, you know, I've been really impressed 
um, just talking to you and, and seeing how active you guys are. I mean, I think I've received three emails from you just in the last month about different events you guys have in different parts of, of the city. Um, and it just seems like this is what you guys do. You guys are out there. Um, you know, uh, you know, Talk to me. What, what are some of the things that you're really talking about to to uh, to parents? You know, what's some of the conversations, or or how you're getting some of these conversations out there? Um, because I gotta feel like as you know, okay, funding is there. Providers are coming into town. Um, we're talking about I, some of these ideas like Medicaid. We're talking about uh, restraint and seclusion. I'm sure there's got to be a lot more questions than ever before. Of okay, great. Now I got this therapy. What should I do with it? Right, and what does it look like, and what does good therapy versus bad bad therapy look like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so we've been around for 42 years in the Valley, and we're the only organization in the Valley that represents families only. We don't take any funding from a state or federal agency, so we can be completely Mm -hmm. impartial. And our belief is that parents make the best choices for their kids, so we try to provide all sorts of information on everything and let parents decide. So that's first. Um, secondly, our goal as an organization is to provide information and support to families and to educate the public, and that's all that we do. We don't provide services. We only provide information. So we have a mom's group and a mom's night out group, and a, we're just starting a social thinking mom support group so moms can start pushing in social thinking in their parenting style. Um, we have informational meetings, we have bowling, we have swimming, we have, we just have a lot, um, to offer our families. And I know that a lot Mm -hmm. of people who move here are always shocked about how active our community is. And that's just because all we do is concentrate on helping families and educating families and providing the support to them. Are you guys finding, you know, with the the different activities you're talking about and, and just kind of where the community is, are you finding, um, more just parents with older kids coming in and seeking, um, I guess, resources or information now since, you know, i got to assume there's a whole group of kids who are probably now Mark's age who maybe weren't able to um, see the benefits or, or, or they weren't able to kind of put everything together in the way that you guys were able to. Um, but now that they have access, they're starting to ask more questions. Yeah, I think that um, the, the the thing that happens is you have your little kids, and then those parents really yeah. need help. And then they sort of disappear, right? But then towards mm-hmm. transition, everybody starts coming back because they're like, okay, new, new problems, now what do we do? And so I'm finding I have a lot of friends who we were friends when our kids were three, and now I'm mm-hmm. seeing them back again, which is, is really nice. And it's really nice, too, because a lot of the time when Mark was diagnosed, this was almost 14 years ago, people either chose uh, biomedical treatment or they chose behavior um, intervention. And very few people chose both. And it was sort of an unpleasant kind of relationship with each other. But now there's none of that. Everybody's pretty open-minded about what people choose, and there's a much more uh, free expression of ideas. So we definitely are trying to provide services. We actually run um, support groups for adults on the spectrum, and we work with another support group that does all transitional support groups uh, around the Valley for uh, teens. So we try to help everybody from birth, you know, to old age. Mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. That is that is outstanding. Um, well, w- you know, we're actually coming up to the end. We're we're pretty much out of time. Um, wow, that went so fast. <laughs> Uh, you know what? As I told you, I knew you and I were going to talk, and before we knew it, uh, be like, up, oh, and it's time to start wrapping up. Right. <laughs> um, well, do me a favor. Before we do wrap up, you've got so much different stuff going on. There's, We've covered, I think, four just really incredible topics. Um, where, you know, let's kind of work backwards. People who want to know about uh, the Autism Society, Greater Phoenix, all the different resources, which I know you guys have a ton of, uh, how do they find you guys? Okay, they just find us on www.phxautism.org. So that's Phoenix, basically, autism.org. And um, we have tons of resources on that page. We have contact form and people, there's phone number there. People can call for help um, and email if you have questions. And we also have a big bowling event, so if people feel like bowling for autism, it's our big fundraiser of the year. Um, we'd love to have people come out and bowl. Nice. And that's, um, is it April, or sorry, is it March 18th? Do I have the date right for your fundraiser? No, March 18th, we're doing a fair, and then April right. 12th, we're doing a bowling event, bowling fundraiser. See, I told you I got like three emails about three different events, yeah. so it's... <laughs> Getting some of those events confused, but okay. See, I'm, I'm glad at least I remembered that date correctly because I, yeah, I made a right. mental note of that. <laughs> That's great because I and I know that affair actually was really cool too because I think it's about different summer programs and different summer yeah, resources. If, if I'm not mistaken, all sorts of summer resources, and it's also about all sorts of schools that might be available. So people, it's like nice. going to be a one-stop shop for families so they can see all the different resources that are out there for them for the summer and mm-hmm. for the next school year. It's awesome. So cool. So very cool. That bowling event is awesome. I know I have, uh, I've already spoken to, uh, to my colleagues. I think we're going to have a team there. They're all excited. They oh, want to awesome. get matching shirts so and, and kind of do it up. <laughs> yeah, it sounded really cool. Um, so we talked about that. If, but there's a legislative piece, and I know you're working on the restraint and seclusion. If yes. uh, families out there or if people out there want to know more about what's going on, um, what's the best way to, for them to find out about that or to track progress? Well, it would be great if they went to our website and joined our newsletter because we'll send stuff out. Um, But also on our Facebook page, we also have an Autism um, Greater Phoenix group, but we also have a Facebook page where they can check us out. And we put legislative updates up there. And uh, we're on our way to the House, so if they're Arizonans, please uh, contact us and we'll tell them how they can help. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. It was so good to talk to you again. Um, just, you know, as I've said before, and I, and I, I can't say it enough, I just I, I love hearing all the different cool things that you're doing, that you've done, because it's just, um, you know, I don't know if it's the, the history nerd in me or, you know, the guy who, who studied government once upon a time. It's just I find it so interesting to hear how these grassroots efforts start and develop and I mean the things you've done and the things you're doing it's you know it's a bunch of parents really sparking something and now it's taken hold across an entire state so I just think I think it's amazing so I just I I thank you so much for being here to talk about it oh thank you I really enjoyed it awesome wow um Thank you guys so much. I'm I'm so glad that we were able to have Cynthia here to talk to you guys. I've I've known her now for uh, for for a little less than a year actually. It's it feels longer because I've I've gotten to know her the more that um, that I've gotten to become a part of 
the, the Phoenix community and, and, and getting to know different providers and, and families there. Um, and from day one, she just really impressed me as someone who has just an amazing story, who's doing amazing work. Um, I truly recommend anyone in the Phoenix area look up the Autism Society of Phoenix. They are doing an amazing job. They have so many great events going on. You know, we talked about some of them. Um, I know I've gone to a, attend one or two and, and just really been impressed by what they do. So I'm glad um, everyone got to hear a little bit about them, as well as just Cynthia and Mark's story, because it's, it's, it's pretty special. It's, it's a really special story that, that we got to share. Um, as always, more info at autismtherapies.com. Send your emails. We want to hear from you. Love to hear from you guys. As well as check us out on Facebook. Um, Autism Spectrum Therapies page is, uh, is our home. Um, like to hear what you guys have to say, um, your questions, your comments. Um, definitely want to make sure that we're gearing this to you guys. So have a fabulous week. Have a fabulous weekend. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.